The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. <laughs> it's like every receptionist I've ever called. <laughs> Today on The Lab Report, we are going to talk about progesterone. Precursor to all other sex hormones. It's not just for making babies. Nope. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Your birthday's coming up. So is yours. It's our birthday month, Michael Chapman. Mm, October. Fall is the best. It's the best. It mm. is. Pumpkin spice. Ugh. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Patty Devers? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to both of our birthdays in a couple of weeks. Yeah? yeah. What are you gonna, how are you going to celebrate? What are you going to do? Got some big plans? Unless you're throwing me a party, nothing. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Anyway, this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's on behalf of us and Genova and the entire industry. Is it? I don't know. I just it felt nice to say that, okay. like, like we were, had some sort of community collective, that sort of thing. All right. We need more of that. You know what I mean? I guess so. Community Kum- collective. Kumbaya. Yeah. We do. So anyway, it's a place where we gather mm-hmm. and talk about things like specialty medicine, integrative therapeutics, integrative medicine, specialty lab testing, natural remedies and cures, and actually just general health, wellness, and disease prevention. Wow. How was that? That's a lot. You know, if you like any of those things, then you've come to the right place. If you're new- You you have to like one of those things. (laughs) If you're new, welcome. If you're returning, we're going to hit more topics in all of those rambling lists of things that Mm. Michael just talked about. Um, But hopefully you'll go to iTunes or Spotify and perhaps follow the show, rate, review, leave us some stars. That's on the interweb. It is. And if they have further feedback or want to send some birthday wishes along, Michael, what can they do? (laughs) They can send your birthday wishes, your (laughs) gifts- (laughs) <laughs> and gifts to uh, <laughs> podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. And if you're a consumer out there interested in ordering Genova products yourself, you can head over to connect.gdx.net. There you can also be connected with a Genova client somewhere in your area to help guide That's your healthcare. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. super cool. Get connected. Yeah. I want to point one other thing out. Yeah, what's that? In addition to it being birthday season for us, it's also the beginning of conference season. That's right. So we'll be out and about. You could come meet us at some of the conferences in the upcoming months, but that also means we'll be traveling a lot. Yeah, we will be. So hopefully we'll keep a weekly podcast. We might miss one here or there, but we'll do our best. Yeah, FYI. And you love traveling. It's like one of your I favorite don't. things to do. I do not. Mm. No, I don't. Airplanes and stuff. I don't like the travel. I love meeting everyone at the booth and That's talking true. to yeah, all yeah. the fans. It's super fun. I just wish I could be like teleported there. Yeah, I think we all wish that. Right. Where's that bullet train? Right? Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. It's the flying three, you know, 30,000 feet in the air <laughs> part of it. Yeah, I have anxiety. Michael and I travel and I'm always like, oh, we're going to die. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Let's well, get into it. Let's dive right in. Well, we're going to talk about progesterone. And, you know, it's kind of like the unsung hero. Everyone focuses on kind of the estrogen piece of this. Seriously. But progesterone is the precursor to all of those other sex hormones. So without progesterone, you can't even make estrogen or testosterone. Yep, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. And um, we also tend to, I guess, limit, um, minimize the importance of progesterone kind of 
physiologically too, because mm-hmm. we tend to mostly focus around it for its, you know, pregnancy aspect and its mm-hmm. maintenance of pregnancy and uh, all those types of things. But uh, uh, you know, it actually does other things, Patty. It does a lot of things. I think a good place to start is where is it made? Where what glands secrete progesterone? What glands make progesterone? Well, I would say kind of mostly the ones you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about the reproductive glands, the ovaries, uh, and the corpus luteum. And we can talk about what we mean by that if you're not familiar with that term. But uh, those are the major sources in females and males. Uh, it's made also in the reproductive glands, the testes. A little bit of it is also made in the adrenals. Mm-hmm. So actually, I think that becomes very relevant uh, later in life when women go through menopause and men go through menopause and uh the adrenals take over a lot of the production but also some can be made in the brain too so that's another area where we can uh i guess fill in the gaps you you just brought up an interesting point because we always think about progesterone as it relates to females but without progesterone you can't even make testosterone so that's why it's important for men too and that would be a crying shame wouldn't it (laughs) would it (laughs) so one thing i want to start with up front is that you know we're talking about where it's made but also how it's made i think is very important as well um because it's made from cholesterol right right right. and you know historically we have had a negative relationship i will say with cholesterol Mm -hmm. uh it's fallen on the wrong side of pr health pr and so um one thing to know is that if you don't have adequate levels of cholesterol you are going to have a harder time making your hormones and like you just said progesterone is the master mother hormone all the other hormones estrogens testosterone dhea stress hormones mineral corticoids those are all made from these precursors that come from cholesterol so right off the bat mm-hmm. one of the things that pops in your mind when you think of like oh it's made from cholesterol is Maybe eggs. <laughs> you can eat some more eggs. Uh-huh. But like how many people are on statins, HMG yeah. CoA inhibitors yeah. or otherwise statins, right? Yep. That's a connection most people don't make. And to be completely honest, I didn't make that until I came here to Genova and really dove into the steroidogenic pathway. But it's a phenomenal point. You're welcome. One last thing on that point, too, is that um, that's not just uh, logical speculation. It's actually there is research papers to demonstrate that long term statin use can I'm not going to say always, but it mm-hmm. can lead to, uh, you know, suboptimal levels of steroid hormones. Okay. So let's say you have optimal cholesterol levels to produce, oh, is there snacks? Are we having snacks? Uh, yeah, I'm hungry. I'm going to open this bag of, uh, all right. So that means we need to include a trigger warning for those with misophonia. I'm not hungry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to disturb the show, but wow. you have, but that being said, let's say you have enough cholesterol and you have enough to make progesterone in those various glands that you just discussed what happens next okay well it gets circulated throughout your blood bound to protein mainly albumin up to like almost 80 percent is albumin you you know intuitively i would have thought sex hormone binding globulin but it's really primarily carried by albumin and then corticosteroid binding globulin which is interesting so you know it's bound it goes through all your organs to the receptors it needs to hit and then as it gets metabolized it has multiple fates which is also interesting just to take it a step back, too, um, for people who you know aren't familiar with some of these terms as much. So albumin, one of the major roles of albumin in your blood is to essentially carry some of these molecules, some of these proteins and whatnot around because uh, either they don't mix well, right? They're more fat soluble. They're not water soluble like the blood. Um, and it helps to kind of regulate their use. So I always think of them as kind of like like school buses. 
that mm. carry some of these things around. So albumin is one sex hormone binding globulin has a little bit more of a apparent name to it, right? It mm -hmm. binds sex hormone, but it's it's to carry it around the body and make sure that you're not oversupplying or undersupplying. It's kind of like a reserve capacity. Well said, sir. Okay, take that analogy a step further. So the school bus pulls up, drops it off at its receptor. Mm -hmm. Then what happens at that receptor site? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting thing too. It's one thing that I typically kind of bypass in my whole like yeah. process of understanding this. And mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of us do is that you know, when these molecules like progesterone, estrogen, they land on your cell, they're delivered to a cell, uh, and they hit this receptor, which is specifically designed to recognize that hormone. So there's like a progesterone receptor, there's different estrogen receptors. Like a key in a lock. It's like a yes. husk. Yeah, and so when that happens, when they bind to that receptor, it actually changes the conformation of certain things on the other side of the cell and causes this sort of cascade effect that ultimately results in the cell changing its expression of certain proteins, certain enzymes. It can affect the DNA and how much it's making of uh, certain other proteins and enzymes. So that's kind of the action. It's it's not that like progesterone is necessarily running around and like building things itself. It's informing the cells to change a little bit of what they're doing and what they're making. Okay, so progesterone gets dropped off by the school bus, does all the stuff you just talked about, makes all of its local effects and systemic effects. Now your body has to then detoxify and get rid of this progesterone. And so mm -hmm. it has to be metabolized. And there are multiple fates to progesterone, which is interesting. I think the first one we can all kind of talk about is that, you know, it gets converted to this intermediate 17 hydroxy progesterone, which then becomes that downstream and leads to further downstream sex hormones. So that's one fate, right? Mm. It gets turned into other sex hormones. Okay. Number two, it goes to the liver and it meets the cytochrome P450 enzymes in phase one of detox. And then in phase two, it, you can either add a sulfate group or a glucuronide molecule to it to make it water soluble. Then it gets excreted in this, your urine or stool. And that's the detoxification part of it. That's your job yep. is done. Well, let's get rid of the you so you're not you know, doing too much of your work. Correct. Number three, progesterone can then get converted to a corticosterone, which mm. is interesting, probably why it's bound to, cortico, to, to corticosteroid binding globulin. Interesting. So it can get converted to a corticosterone, which then becomes aldosterone. So mm. it has a role in the renin-angiotensin system. Can you break that out a little bit for people who aren't don't know the renin-angiotensin system and what mineral corticoids do? I mean, just globally? Yeah, it really has to do with salt balance and how your kidney either holds on to salt or releases it and has a lot to do with your blood pressure and regulating cardiovascular disease. Yeah, it mitigates your water retention, yeah, right? Your yeah. sort of overall water burden. Uh, and, and that's where a lot of blood pressure medications, like you're saying, act on because mm -hmm. it can either it can remove it can reduce the blood pressure by removing basically water Correct. for water and salt from your body. Correct. So that's an interesting um, connection that most people don't make with progesterone. So I find that one fascinating. And here's another one. Progesterone can also be converted to something called allopregnanolone, and it's isomer pregnanolone. These things modulate GABA and affect your mood. So it can be converted to something that's directly affecting your mood in your brain, which is awesome. And then finally, just in and of itself, it can get conjugated directly with glutathione and excreted in your urine or your stool. That's five different highways it yes. could go down. Yes. How do you know which one is going down? Well, in my mind... I would think the body would adapt and send it down whichever pathway it needs, right? But that also being said, you can also look at symptoms like mood, sleep, is it affecting your brain, what's going on with your blood pressure, and that's kind of how I think about it. How do you think about it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think 
It's probably, uh, in most cases, it's going down all five at the same time at different mm -hmm. rates, mm -hmm. right? So these, it's not like it's one or the other or two or the other. Like these things are always happening in conjunction. So it's really the relative rates to which these are being created. And I would assume that it's based on feedback mechanisms from the body telling it that, uh, you know, in this certain circumstance, we need more sex hormone. Mm -hmm. In this certain circumstance, we need more corticosteroids to manage blood pressure. We need more cortisol for stress, you know, and so. Uh, that even goes back to kind of the progesterone or pregnenolone steel concept. Okay, don't get me on the progesterone steel rant. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in this podcast. I think the point to make is that you're right. It has multiple fates, goes down many different pathways. That's how we get downstream things from pro progesterone, which is why it's such an important precursor. But you talked about how, you know, it gets dropped off to, at its receptor and it works its magic in various different ways. I think a next place to go, Michael, are... Let's get to the meat. What are the functions of progesterone? Why like, do we care? What, what are the things it's responsible for? And I think thinking about these fates can kind of help put the picture together as to why these symptoms and these functions are associated with progesterone. Yeah, and I think this is one thing that needs a lot of kind of clarity is that it's not just for reproductive function, mm -hmm. right? right? With respect to reproductive function, you know, it certainly is one of the main things responsible for, you know, main menstruation and, un and building up of the uterine lining to get ready for pregnancy or implantation, um, as well as maintaining that throughout mm -hmm. pregnancy. I mean, right. progesterone levels are astronomical during pregnancy, right? Which you made this point last week, or was it just us talking the word progesterone is progestation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's in the word. Um, but the, the funny thing is like, it does so many other things. Mm -hmm. It really has a huge impact on, um, you know, kind of overall body temperature and mood. Mm -hmm. It's a big time mood stabilizer. It's also, you know, you find people take it a lot to help them sleep because it's has a bit of a sedative and analgesic effect. It's involved in cognition. Um, as you might imagine, it's involved in water retention or diuresis, as we mentioned before. Also helps to protect your brain and nerve cells with, uh, it prevents myelin degeneration and is neuroprotective. It also promotes smooth muscle relaxation, immunosuppressive effects. So like, I mean, you name an organ system, there's probably not one that isn't in some way directly or indirectly impacted by progesterone, um, which, you know, some of those that you heard on that list might make a lot of sense, especially when you start thinking about menopause. Mm -hmm. Why is it called menopause? Right. Is that just like a joke like that? You know, like the <laughs> the Republic of the Patriarchy, like we just yeah. had to get our. our yeah. <laughs> Menstruation, our there, menopause. <laughs> yes. And so with that list of symptoms uh, that I just kind of went through or not symptoms, but actions of mm -hmm. progesterone, then like you would expect that some of the symptoms that you have from either low or high progesterone levels in the body uh, would resemble <laughs> some of those actions that we just listed, right? A thousand percent. So let's just start with high, right? If you have high levels of progesterone, what are some of the symptoms? Um, and I would say it's all of these things you just discussed, <laughs> only you just add the symptoms to it. Mm. Breast tenderness, low libido, fatigue, sedation and drowsiness which makes sense headaches depression or irritability sleep issues like you just said um, higher body temperature feeling stressed out so see these are some of the symptoms that might make you think maybe my progesterone's too high and i might need to check my levels yeah and so and my natural next question in my head is like well what causes levels of high progesterone mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. To be honest, I honestly uh, more think about levels of low progesterone and the problems associated therein. Um, and one of the things that came to my mind was, okay, so, you know, 
low libido, breast tenderness, fatigue, depression, irritability, sleep issues, pregnancy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Like high <laughs> levels of progesterone uh, certainly are a thing in pregnancy. And these are very common things for pregnant women to be experiencing as well. But besides pregnancy, things like endometriosis, which is interesting as the endometrial lining can actually secrete extra progesterone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one reason or one cause of that. There's obviously natural spikes during you know the menstrual cycle. Uh, certainly ovarian cancer could be causing some of this problem if that's on board because uh, it has the capacity to produce it. Uh, supplementation, sure. Caffeine, smoking. But I think one of the most common things that we see naturally uh, as you know, a reason for maybe not super high, but like kind of a little borderline high finding of progesterone is stress. Mm-hmm. Good old stress again. <laughs> because there we go. You think about it because your adrenal glands secrete progesterone. So if they're working really hard to try to make cortisol, it's likely that progesterone will also be secreted. But I want to bring something up that you talked about earlier, Michael, as it relates. Because when we start thinking about cortisol and the adrenals and progesterone, something that comes up all the time as we speak to clinicians and it's out there in our field is something called pregnenolone or progesterone steel. Is that mm-hmm. a thing? Is that really a thing? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, it is a thing in the sense that there are feedback mechanisms like you were just referencing that alter how progesterone is used. Um, and so the thing is that if you have a lot of stress on board, uh, as you were just mentioning, what it does is it tends to cause more production of cortisol to, you know, because of the stress, you know, it's a stress hormone. So it's sort of, there's a feedback mechanism triggering and saying, Hey, produce more and more cortisol, which comes from progesterone. Uh, and at the same time, there's a decrease in the stimulation to produce things like testosterone, androgens and estrogens. And so that's kind of from a global perspective. Yes, there is more cortisol being made at the expense of testosterone and estrogens. That's sort of the the end game of this concept of progesterone steel. The one misnomer and why I say yes and no is that what's not happening is that the that hormone is not directly being converted into cortisol at a higher rate. There's not a, a driven part of that because as you just mentioned, you can actually see the feedback mechanism saying we need to produce more progesterone. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, progesterone and cortisol are not made at the same places in the body. Right. So that's the main reason why, you know, it's it's kind of inaccurate to say, oh, well, all this progesterone now gets turned into cortisol. That's not the way it works. It works more indirectly through all these feedback mechanisms. Right. And if you think about that fight or flight and levels of high cortisol, reproduction is not high on the list of things if you're running from a tiger. So it's really all those feedback mechanisms and and down regulation. The next thing that should come to your mind is, okay, well, what do we do about it? And I think importantly, there's no over serious consequences because it's going to go downstream or down one of these paths. You know, it's not like having low where you start getting worried. When it's high, it's going to find its way. But you do need to understand the underlying cause and make sure you're not missing something. And then another thing to to think about is just to check glutathione status, you know, because Mm. we know that it does get conjugated to it. Yeah, Uh, it's an interesting point. I mean, Certainly, we mentioned earlier some of the signs and symptoms if you have too much progesterone. So if you're taking it, you know, Mm -hmm. bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, and you start to experience some of those, you know, you might want to get checked. You might want to run a a test to see kind of where your levels are are at um, because, you know, you don't want to be experiencing those symptoms because of something you're taking. Uh, And beyond that, like you said, if there are other 
potential causes of this you might want to investigate as well, especially if they're sky high. That would be a, a cause for, uh, you know, some sort of investigation. Right. And supporting detox pathways. Okay. Well, that was high progesterone. But I think the one that more people encounter is low progesterone, which seems to be a bigger driver of what we hear on the telephone and, and what do you do about it? How do you know? So I would ask you, Michael, what are some of the symptoms of low progesterone? All right. So here's, here's one of the really strange things. Okay. You listed off all those signs and symptoms associated with high progesterone. Right. Like a lot of those are the same symptoms that are associated with low progesterone. Ugh. So we're talking about things like breast tenderness, fatigue, anxiety, depression, menstrual irregularities, um, insomnia, irritability, mm -hmm. migraine, headaches, breast tenderness, right? So like what gives here? <laughs> how, what, what's like, how is this the, the same list of signs and symptoms? And so that's one of the problems is that if you have a list of signs and symptoms and you're suggesting progesterone, you don't know whether this is somebody, it's like the hypochlorhydria thing we were talking about. Right, it's like, right. you don't know whether the person has low or high levels of progesterone and you have to kind of figure that out from a testing perspective. But it kind of shows kind of the, the beauty of, of the body in the hormonal symphony is that, uh, you know, there's this threshold, this window in which progesterone is wanting to be kind of kept in. And then once you get out of that, the signs and symptoms are relatively predictable. Right. And I would say it's a little bit more clinically important when it's a low progesterone, knowing that it's a precursor to so many important things. So now you have to stop and ask yourself the question, what are some of the causes of having low progesterone? And I think the one that gets bantered around the most is something called luteal phase deficiency or having a short luteal phase of the menstrual cycle. So then it becomes, okay, well, what is luteal phase deficiency? What is luteal phase deficiency? Right, that right. sounds like a bunch of words. <laughs> what is it, Patty? It's, it's basically the inability to make progesterone in the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle. And it comes from things like anorexia, mm -hmm. extreme exercise, obesity, PCOS, thyroid disorders, all things that can contribute to having low progesterone in the luteal phase of a menstrual cycle. Yeah. And one of the most classic, you know, and, and profound s problems with that is basically, uh, you know, difficulty getting pregnant mm -hmm. because if you can't maintain the luteal phase of menses, then you're not able to, you know, have good implantation and, and maintain pregnancy because ultimately if the progesterone drops, you can't maintain pre pregnancy. So Correct. Um, yeah. very commonly why uh, if somebody's had several miscarriages, mm -hmm. they will do use progesterone therapy to, to try to assist with that. Agree, agree. And another cause of low progesterone is low cholesterol. And you hit on that earlier, why that's so important, right? Eat your eggs, people. <laughs> the other one is menopause, which makes sense, and andropause for men. Um, but we also think about things like nutrient deficiencies, which is interesting. Like if you can't make progesterone, you think about things like selenium and magnesium and zinc, which also makes sense. They're important cofactors in every single biochemical pathway in your body. Yeah. The whole, I was sorry, I was just got lost a little bit, uh, as you're not probably surprised, like in my own brain uh -huh. around menopause uh -huh. and menopause, andropause, yeah. because like, <laughs> it's just kind of, kind of wild that at some point in your life, your body's just kind of like, all right, folks, let's call it a day. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, which tells me that there's obviously a major uh, you know, energetic cost to producing these things uh -huh. to a yeah. certain extent. Um, and obviously, you know, there's likely there's there's generational effects to where, you know, at a certain point, it's not 
uh, it's not good for the species to be producing children at you know right. older and older yeah. ages. So yeah. you know it's, it's all kind of part of that. But it's evolutionarily, just like, <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. let's wrap it up. <laughs> Shut that down over there, Bob. All right, over here, Jerry. <laughs> turn it off. Five o'clock. Oh gosh. Well, it, <laughs> in addition to your body just giving up and shutting it down. Other things that can cause progesterone to be low are, you know, alcohol intake, obesity, thyroid issues. And it comes back to what we always talk about with that triangle and the symphony of hormones, mm-hmm. that all of these hormones interact with each other. Everything's connected. Yeah, it's yeah. all connected. Yeah. Okay, then. Okay. Well, and, and you mentioned insulin resistance, obesity, metabolic yeah. syndrome, right? So, that, again, the metabolism part of this is really the foundational layer because if it's off, it mucks with everything. With everything, right? And like, I think our first kind of window into this was maybe around PCOS, where it was so overt, you know, and we were like, okay, well, seems very clear that there is a linkage between insulin and PCOS. Um, And I don't know why we sort of at the same time didn't be like, maybe it's like a part of all this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and even here in, in, in Genova, you know, we've adapted. We used to talk about the symphony of hormones as a big triangle, and it had three layers. The bottom was the adrenals, the middle was the thyroid, and the tip was sex hormones. And we would tell clinicians, don't chase progesterone unless you have these other things in order, like the adrenal glands first, then the thyroid, then the sex hormones. But what we've now come to understand is the fourth most bottom layer is metabolism. So you need to start with insulin in your metabolism. Sure. Okay, so you have low progesterone. We know that it causes a lot of symptoms. It's got a lot of really important downstream um, importance because you can't make other sex hormones. You can't, you know, work on the aldosterone piece of this with the RAA. What do you do? You have low progesterone, Michael. We just talked about it. I do? (laughs) Makes sense. You do. Well, then you start with the metabolism. Then you're looking at the adrenals. Then you go in thyroid. Now what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the main work you just talked about, like looking at the underlying cause and figuring out what that might be, whether that's metabolism, adrenal or what have you, um, and getting your diet lifestyle in order accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those always go without saying. Those are kind of the, the foundational interventions. But, uh, you know, from a more higher force intervention standpoint, you know, you could think about things like supplementation. Uh, and by that, I mean, there's an herb that's very commonly used called Vitex or uh, chase tree berry. You could also think of supplementation from a pregnenolone standpoint, mm-hmm. as that is a precursor um, to progesterone, right? So if you give that precursor, then you're hoping your body will kind of produce uh, more of the progesterone by giving that upstream product. Um, and then aside from that supplementation standpoint, you know, you could always go with bioidentical hormone replacement. I think there's one thing to kind of sort out in people's brains because we don't we use these words somewhat interchangeably, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes where we have this group of molecules called progestogens, of which progesterone, <laughs> I could say it, <laughs> progesterone is one of those, right? Okay. And that's not the same as progestins, which are basically synthetic forms of progesterone, right? So right. these progestins um, you know, are commonly used in uh, oral contraceptives, as well as, um, you know, like IUD, uh, IUD, the Mirena, things like that. So that's where we should separate synthetic from bioidentical because progesterone, you can actually have bioidentically therapeutic, like in some sort of cream or gel or oral or what have you. Okay, well, what's the difference then? Do they act the same? I mean, they're molecularly similar. Does that mean that they do the same things? Why would you pick one over the other? 
uh, I mean, do you like natural things or do you like synthetic things? Let me ask you that, Patty. Of course, I like natural things. I was trying to get to the point of there are people out there saying, well, I could just take progestin. What's the big deal? What's the difference between the two? Why would you choose one over the other? Why wouldn't you choose one over the other? Well, I think with the whole thing around bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is because your body responds to one particular molecule, right? It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily, it wasn't built to respond to something that looks kind of like that <laughs> molecule. Like you can already assume that if that's your level of logic, like there's probably not the exact one-to-one thing that that's right. going on. And so, sure. and, and it's backed up in evidence. Recent studies have shown that synthetic progesterone uh, could be associated with higher risk of breast cancer. And also, what are you just packing up over there? <laughs> what are you no, doing? Sorry. You're unplugging this. <laughs> you know, we're recording right now, Patty. This is a <laughs> podcast. There's machinery here, microphones. Michael's talking, <laughs> and I'm like packing things up over here. I'm Friday, so sorry. you're ready to get out of here. <laughs> Stop talking, Michael. Sorry, please continue. You just mentioned about the synthetics having a higher. No, I don't feel like I should anymore. Now you can finish it up, Patty. You're in such a hurry. Talk faster. I was going to make a point that as it relates to supplementation. (laughs) I was going to make a point on the back end of that as it relates to supplementation. So there are women out there who will just take estrogen. And an important thing to note is that if you have a uterus Mm. and you're taking estrogen supplementation, you also must take progesterone. Unopposed estrogen is a no-no. It'll cause increased risk for uterine cancer. Okay, bada boom, bada bing, now I can pack up. Wow, you are in a hurry to get out of here. Just so happens I think we did it. We did. Travis, we're not, we're, no question of the day. No, I, Patty wants to go. <laughs> no, I, I know. I, I know we planned it. I, I don't know. To, she's in a hurry, okay? We can do it next week. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Michael Hill. We're going to talk about direct primary care. Yeah, we'll see. We'll even see if Patty's here for it. Oh, come on. She might be in a hurry. Nope. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So it turns out... Mm-hmm. I think there actually was a bear in our campsite when I told when we you. were camping. I, I mean, told her- you. heard some pretty severe rustling and snorting. You know, so like, oh my like gosh. that sort of stuff. Well, maybe maybe it was just a dog. No, 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 because the, the dogs were going crazy, which is another telltale sign of a bear yeah. possibly being nearby. Some, or something bigger. And based on that sound effect you just made, yeah. <laughs> it made me think about it in South Carolina. In the woods, there's a lot of wild boars. So I'm wondering if there are wild boars here in North Carolina. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there are any in the mountains. I don't know. Could be. Did you go out to check and see what it was? I had my hand on the bear spray all night long. I didn't <laughs> sleep a single wink. That sounds like a fun trip. <sighs> I need a nap. Good bear impression, by the way. Yeah, I've been working on my bear. Yeah. And my bear grills. <laughs> Okay, well, we just heard your bear. What's your bear grills? <laughs> All right, today you are going to come and help me figure out on this new adventure exactly what type of animal we are going to rescue. Brilliant.